this is a new show for me. I love the show. I love watching the show with you and Nando, but being on the show feels good, man. Matt, it's a pleasure uh, having you, my friend. Uh, I'm glad uh, to see you and uh, have you filling in. It's the first time for us hooking up on a pod, and I'm looking forward to this big time. We got to get you on the Mind of Mansion show with, with me as well. This is this is the this is the great benefit of having such a, a wide network of shows. Have all kinds of uh, super talented people. I, I sometimes I can't believe it. I have to pinch myself. Uh, especially the the work of Theo Greminger. He knows everybody. He knows what's good. He's the tastemaker of this industry. And bringing all these people together under this one banner has just allowing people just to tune in on YouTube. And you get to get to you get to get your your dynasty, your DFS, your seasonal leagues, your betting, your pickums. You get everything. Yeah, have it all covered. And Theo's the hardest working man in in the business here. So uh, yeah, he put it all uh, together, and it's uh, a great platform. Well, maybe he certainly gives you the impression that he's working hard. Okay, Theo. Theo will let you know that he's about to get off a call to get on another call with another person who's very important. And th these, this is that he's constantly making things happen. This is the impression that he gives off. Right. And he's also at the same time writing an article. He's doing all these things. He's certain. Yes, he, he works very hard, but I also think he does do a good job of letting everyone around him know how hard he's working. He's, he's, He's definitely letting us. Yes, so yeah, but, but it's under it, the, the it's undeniable. I can't look up and not see him on a show every day, Matt. So I mean, uh... the content is undeniable. Content don't lie, Chris. Content don't lie. That for sure, for sure. Matt, how'd you like uh, week three in uh, fantasy football this week? Was it a good week? Bad week? This was the final week that we needed. Like I, my my feeling was this is what football is supposed to look like. We finally got some shootouts. We finally had some some teams that looked like they were functional. We had fewer injuries than we've had. And it all makes sense. It all makes sense. If these star players are not going to play a down of preseason football, you're not allowed to be surprised when week one and two are dysfunctional chaos and there's more injuries than we were ready for because, again, their bodies have not been acclimated to full-speed NFL football. So it makes sense that there's this this period of time, this two week acclimation period, where really it's the month of September, and we really don't see real football. Football we're accustomed to the football we love until the month of October. Fortunately, it happened a little bit earlier this year, where week three, most of these teams are now clicking into place. The Giants, there's a few of them that are not, and if, and the question is, will they ever? Right, but a lot of these teams are finally clicking. Uh, we finally, see some shootouts. You look at the game totals. This is the big giveaway this week, Chris, no game totals under 40, not one. You hate to see those 38s and 37s that that jet Patriot 36 total um, <clears throat> from last week. You just knew it was going to be a stinker. Plus, it was terrible weather here in New York and up the uh, eastern seaboard here. So get us out of the 30s. We don't want to see those type of games anyway. We want to see those high 40s and low 50s. And uh, when you give us those mid 50s uh, totals, that's what we're in for, like the Chargers Vikings game last week. But uh, Matt, to your original point, I see it the same way as you, you know, with none of these big time players seeing, uh, seeing the field in preseason, the first two weeks is like their preseason. So you see a lot of crazy crap going on. 
And then by the third week, after three weeks in, just like we saw, I think now we saw a big enough sample size that we could start trusting our eyes and what we see and what we, you know, don't see. So uh, three weeks in, it's time to roll now, starting here week four. I think we know what players we could kind of trust and which players we can't trust going forward. Is it true that you can trust wide receivers that have been productive for three, four, five, six, seven straight seasons? And that wide receivers that have either not played football recently or gave us one good month in their entire career, that it was a little weird looking back in hindsight. Certainly, this is hindsight biased, but we look back and we see a, a bunch of head scratching wide receivers going in round three, four, five. And then you see some established studs going later, going in round six, round seven, round eight. My number one. Uh, head scratching veteran wide receiver, his ADP was Chris Godwin. Uh, so I was I was confident that Chris Godwin was going to deliver this year at ADP. There was going to be a value. He actually hasn't even had a big week yet. He's not had a spike week. You said the targets, but that's about it. He's been relatively inefficient with those targets. But Mike Evans has been the one. The Mike Evans has been the one who's delivering the most at cost, right? So there, he's been the best value at ADP from summer drafts has been Mike Evans, but there's been a bunch of veteran receivers that are delivering where if you had a question, especially in round three, round four, it's like, oh man, Olave's off the board. There's no young, exciting player I'm super excited about. And the receivers that I'm, that I'm looking at are well past the AJ packs. What do you do? Do you go with the unproven youth and, and the tantalizing upside, the juice, or do you go with what you know is going to be productive I think we've seen now that the move was, and in, in, correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe you disagree, but leaning veteran receiver in hindsight was the move. Well, I mean, Matt, let's start there at the three, four turn in, in most drafts this, uh, you know, this year, um, you know, the, the cold names on the board at wide receiver were Amari Cooper, which nobody wanted, you know, in my world. Uh, and, and Debo Samuel was another guy that most, high stakes fantasy players were out on and really didn't want it. And who was the name that was going before them that drafters couldn't get their hands on fast enough was Christian Watson. And now we look back and yeah, sure. Christian Watson got hurt. I don't want to, you know, uh, jump the shark here with, uh, you know, putting him down before he even touches the field. But, you know, it's just, you see these veteran receivers early on in the season, they're all getting it done. Uh, Cooper and Debo look like great round four picks. Um, right now, especially over some of these younger guys that were going in the third round. Debo Samuel fell to the fourth round. Isn't that weird? Debo was not making it in the top 36 in a lot of my drafts. Uh, he was going after that. He was just that wide receiver that was just like, all right, you know what? I'll take veteran Debo. A lot of people, uh, and, and I love Ayuk as well, but a lot of people were trying to move Ayuk past Debo. Um, you know, Keenan Allen, Matt, Let's, you know, we, you know, the hottest wide receiver on the board. People didn't love Keenan Allen in the third round. Another veteran receiver that's just looks like a complete smash pick. It looks like he's not well on his way to a top five or six overall wide receiver one season. And then most of all, Matt, you know, let's talk about right there at the first, second round turn. We didn't include Devontae Adams, you know, grizzled Devontae Adams. Nobody really were, was excited about taking Devontae Adams in drafts this year. He was not considered one of the elite eight wide receivers that we all wanted and took in the first round. 
You know, it's looking like uh, sure uh, the injury to Aaron Rodgers factors in, but you know, Garrett Wilson over Aaron uh, Garrett Wilson over Devontae Adams is a monumental uh, you know turning point for drafters so far this year, and will be the rest of the season. But Devontae Adams was slipped into the middle of the second round where younger wide receivers such as Jalen Waddle, Alave, Devonta Smith were going sometimes ahead of him in drafts. So, you know, a lot of these veteran names that we've seen for years, they've just gotten off to hot starts. I think it continues. You mentioned Mike Evans later on in the seventh, eighth round. Nobody wanted Mike Evans and nobody wanted Michael Pittman either. And these guys are just target hounds every week. So the veteran wide receivers – you know, they're not going away this year, Matt. I think that of all the players you listed, the guy that I understood the most, the the, the skepticism was Mike Evans. I yeah. was skeptical of Mike Evans. I thought that Chris Godwin was a much better fit for Baker Mayfield. The Baker Mayfield has struggled to deliver the ball to the perimeter, to the boundary, to alpha receivers in his, his entire career. It's been a massive struggle. Chris Godwin now, uh, you know, he had to through two games – he was he was averaging seven targets a game. So Chris Godwin's giving you the targets, but he's gonna have his. He's gonna have his weeks, man. Yeah, he's gonna have games, man. He's just he's riding. That's the perfect trade target right now. Of all the players we've talked about, the guy that's about to go nuclear, he's about to have some big weeks with negative game scripts. You know, rate it. You want that guy who's like, oh man, I guess I guess Mike Evans is the alpha, and they really can only support one. Uh, one productive receiver there. I, you know, I guess Chris Godwin. He's he's uh, you know he's he's also past his prime. He's 27, oh, 27 years old, but he's getting that that nice 10 fantasy points a game. He's getting the targets. He's not getting the yards. He's not getting the touchdowns. That's what you want. You want the guys that's getting the targets, but has zero touchdowns through three weeks. Who is that guy? Who they got? That it's it's Chris Godwin. So there's that guy, but but Evans is four years older than Chris Godwin. His efficiency has been declining. He is getting a downgrade at quarterback going from Baker Mayfield. So there was there was a strong case to fade Mike Evans, not into oblivion, not into the eighth round, but to push him out of his his traditional sort of third round ADP. Where that, that made sense to me. That made some logical sense to me. But if I'm in the third round, I was looking at, yeah, I guess Keenan Allen's the move here. Right. I guess Keenan Allen's the move because I just can't talk myself into like for, the best example was Calvin Ridley, where I just could not get my head around that I'm going to take a risk on Calvin Ridley, who's also past the AJ Pex. Like Calvin Ridley, I don't know if you know this, Calvin Ridley's older than Chris Godwin. Okay. He's a year older than Chris Godwin. So if you're like, oh, this guy's kind of dusty, I don't, I like to draft younger receivers in these early rounds. Well, Calvin Ridley's almost 30. So what are we talking about? He hasn't played football. And there's a lot of good receivers in Jacksonville. There's a lot more good receivers in Jacksonville. Think about who their tight end is in Jacksonville. Evan Ingram. Who's the number three receiver? Zay, Zay Jones. Who's the number three receiver in Tampa? Who's who's their tight end? Kate Otten, right? So just looking at that alone, the, 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 the ADP, the ADP disparity, the ADP arbitrage on Calvin Ridley and what he's been over the last few years right? Even when he's healthy, right? What's his max upside? His max upside is Mike Evans, right? So that that didn't make sense. Like looking at the, 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 the route inventory and who those players are, are going to be running those routes and where the target consolidation is from team to team around the NFL, 
you saw it in it was that was it was going to be three guys getting targets in Tampa, just three guys. Whereas in Jacksonville, there's five guys. Now we're seeing Travis Etienne getting five targets again, again. I was told that he can only get three targets a game. That's his cap. Oh, what do we do? We we buy into offenses in draft season, Matt, right? We're buying into quarterback play. We're buying into offenses we don't want to see stumble, go three and out over and over again. And when we looked at Tampa Bay's offense with a Baker Mayfield, who we've seen do nothing but struggle year in and year out, we say, well, he's coming in on a bad team, on a team that we thought was going to be a three or four win team, and tank this offense. So I don't want a Mike Evans and his three for 38 type games that Baker Mayfield's going to support. What I want is Calvin Ridley and these Jaguar pieces on an offense that we saw last year at the end of the season and into the playoffs going up and down the field, right? We got the big time young up and coming quarterback and Trevor Lawrence to support these guys. So, and let's, let's be honest, you know, coming into this season, Zay Jones was kind of like the forgotten guy. So we looked at this Jaguars offense as give me the big piece in Calvin Ridley with Christian Kirk, who was also a fourth or fifth rounder, okay? He was another big piece. It wasn't until after week one where all of us just said, uh-oh, you know, we got a problem here. Zay Jones is the one putting up the big numbers, and Christian Kirk's running 55% of the routes, okay? Now, Christian Kirk owners here, we've caught a little bit of a break with the Zay Jones injury, and as of today, uh, Doug Peterson comes out and says he's a long shot for this week in London, so we're going to get another week of just a, a – you know, a, a, a smaller target tree of Ridley, Kirk, and Ingram, who, which, you know, we were all excited about last week, and it, you know, it bombed out versus the Houston Texans at home. So, you know, they get another week here to reprieve, them, uh, reprieve themselves here, um, but it's good that Zay Jones will be out of the offense again if you're a Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk owner, uh, as well as Evan Ingram, because, you know, you saw all these guys get seven-plus targets week in and week out. If Zay Jones is out, just go back in time, man. Last year, who was the guy that who who, who bombed out in the fourth round last year? It was uh, Darnell Mooney, right? Darnell Mooney, because that guy was the young guy with the young quarterback that was inspiring the hope. He was inspiring the 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 uh, the perceived upside, right? Chasing the perceived upside. Where my my position has been for years that. If you're drafting in the third, fourth round, you want to lock in production. You have so many more rounds to go, right? So many more rounds to go. You have uh, some of these leagues, these high stakes leagues, draft out to round 20, right? You have so many rounds, Chris, where you can chase upside. Why are you taking so taking on so much risk? Guy like Calvin Ridley has played no games in a year and a half. That's a lot of risk. It's a, Christian Watson. Injury aside, he had one good month. That's a lot of risk. And then if you go back through time, you're going to be disappointed in a hell of a lot more of these wide receivers that have one or less seasons of consistent fantasy production than if you just close your eyes and draft Keenan Allen. Close your eyes, draft Chris Godwin. Again, I'm not saying draft every every uh, veteran wide receiver. Close your eyes and draft Mike Williams. Right. Some of them worked out. Mike Williams got injured. Chris Godwin has underperformed. Some of them have hit in a big way, like Keenan Allen and like Mike Evans. And I would even go as I was even going as far as saying, hey, Devontae Devontae Adams over, say, a Garrett Wilson is should be a debate. 
Like that's a conversation, but no one was having that conversation. It was, we were so over it. Devonte Adams was a late second rounder and Garrett Wilson was an early second rounder. And I, I remember asking this question on multiple shows, ask Theo, ask Billy, why isn't this a conversation? And the answer is, well, you got to understand this is just such a massive quarterback upgrade for Garrett Wilson. It's like, I, I get it, but I, I really think that Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are almost identical players. In fact, they're comparable to each other on playerprofiler.com. And Derek Carr versus Aaron Rodgers is not a major difference at all. In fact, Derek Carr plays a little faster and Aaron Rodgers is a little more accurate, but it's Derek Carr who has the, the four consecutive seasons with 4,000 plus passing yards. And I agree, these guys belong in the early third round. That's where these types of receivers should be going. And if you're going to be drafting a guy in the second round, remember Calvin Ridley got steamed up in the second round. You were there for that, right? Let's take guys, let's draft guys in the second round that we know are going to be productive and force them to, to give us an outlier bad season. Yeah, we also got sold on the preseason hype, you know, seeing all the videos. Because if you remember, you know, Calvin Ridley came into the draft season in June and early July before we even stepped on the field in camp. Okay. And he was going in the fourth round. He was going right there with Christian Kirk. Sometimes Christian Kirk was going ahead of Calvin Ridley. It wasn't until they hit camp and we saw the videos of Calvin Ridley burning defenders, having the joint practices with other teams and killing the other team, the route running, the speed, it all came back. And we said, oh my God, well, this guy hasn't missed a beat. That's why Calvin Ridley became a mid fourth rounder up to a third rounder, a mid third rounder up to where the big money was on the line in high stakes leagues the last two weeks of the season. And Calvin Ridley was a late second rounder. Okay. Now I don't know how you feel about Calvin Ridley. Now the rest of the season, Matt, he had the one big game where he, you know, we all in week one said, okay, this is why we drafted him in week two. We were all right. And now he's had two slow games, right. Of seven, eight fantasy points. Um, the targets are still there. He's missed a couple time. He's missed a couple opportunities in the end zone these last couple weeks, dragging his feet where he could have had a touchdown. Lawrence under throwing him a couple times. I don't. I'm not that concerned with Calvin Ridley's long term input. Now, if you told me, hey, let's go back three weeks ago when you were drafting, and will you take Keenan Allen over Calvin Ridley? Sure, but we could do that in every round with different players, straight up and down the board. It's just a process thing. It's just it's just a process thing. Like I said, I, I, it's a process thing. It, like I, I would I would still look at the process. Drafting Chris Godwin in round five was good process. Drafting uh, Tyler Lockett right in round six that was good process. Drafting Keenan Allen over a Christian Watson that's good process. That's good process down the board. That should Devonte Adams in the late second round is good process if he's available that's that's my larger point is there are certain wide receivers that give you stability and where they have to you know reveal themselves as something other than what we've seen the last five years in order for them to fail that's the guy i'm trying to draft in the first few rounds instead of taking chances that i don't need to take i'll throw i have so many rounds later that i can take my upside shots at wide receiver i'm not I'm not here to take huge risks in those early rounds. And what's interesting is these risky receivers, they get steamed up even more in high stakes. And this is one of those sort of interesting conundrums that I talked to Billy and Theo about. I'm like, it seems like the more money is at stake, 
the more risks that these fantasy gamers, these managers are taking, it's, it, I would think it's the opposite, right? When someone's in a $50 league, they're, they're, they're playing it safe and they're drafting Keenan Allen. Suddenly someone's playing, they're putting down a thousand dollars and they're drafting Christian Watson. This doesn't make sense. It's we admit that that is a weird phenomenon, isn't it? Yeah, because Matt, what the, the reason behind that is you can't wait until you see it. Uh, you know, at that point, it's too late. It, it, you know, we're trying to project out the next big season, the Garrett Wilson. That's why he became a late first rounder is because, hey, with Aaron Rodgers, we're thinking this guy's going for 15, 1600 yards and 14 touchdowns. And he's going to be Devontae Adams with Aaron Rodgers. And you're trying to get ahead of the curve now. You know, we just start, draft but, Devontae Adams. Sure. If you sure. want the next Devontae Adams, I have a great idea for you, Chris. This is the this is what I'm saying. This is the this is a crazy idea. The crazy micro instead of trying to draft the next Devontae Adams, just draft Devontae Adams. Not all situations are the same because guess what? We're getting Jimmy Garoppolo with Devontae Adams, and you don't know what you're getting with Jimmy G. He's checked down Charlie, you know. He's a functional quarterback, he's not Zach Wilson. He's functional until he's not. He's functional until he's on the sidelines hurt, you know? Uh, but, you know, with and then obviously it happened to Aaron Rodgers. So And it happened to Derek Carr. The beauty of it happened to Derek Carr, and I think this was an underrated aspect of uh, the Chris Olave draft pick, was that the backup quarterback, one of the better backup quarterbacks for fantasy, was in New Orleans. right? Some of these teams, Chargers is one of those teams, Jets one of those teams where – the the real negligence by the front office was was rolling with uh, a a a, a, a non functional backup quarterback. Do you even know who the backup quarterback is in Los Angeles for the Chargers? Uh, for, is it Easton Stick? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, the Chargers have made some great moves. Their front office has been, I think, above average. But that's irresponsible. That's an irresponsible thing to do to that team. Sure. You need the veteran. You need the veteran backup. You know, each team should have that mil one. You know, that veteran quarterback that's making you know one point five million. And if the the ship sinks with the starter, the season isn't over. A la here here we are in, in New York with the Jets and Zach Wilson. Aaron Rodgers even said in an interview leading into the season late August, "Hey, I'm here. Zach can sit on the sideline for a couple of years and learn." Right there and then, he's telling you this kid isn't ready. He needs to sit on the sideline and learn. So when Rodgers goes down, you can't be in a position to throw this kid in. He should be QB3 with a clipboard for a year and a half. You need the Trevor Simeon that luckily they just brought in. And I know a lot of people aren't excited about Trevor Simeon, but guess what? He's a functional veteran that's going to be there, not going to see a deer in headlights, when he gets in the game, he's not he's going to know how to read defenses and he's going to get the ball out to Garrett Wilson and save Garrett Wilson's season. It's huge. It's huge. It's, it, yeah, it's 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 an underreported huge move for fantasy is, is. Yeah. Oh, and he will be the quarterback come week six at the latest. Once he gets up to speed and knows the playbook. Bye bye, Zach Wilson. You're going back to the holding the clipboard. Simeon's going to come in and save this offense and save our Garrett Wilson shares, Matt. Yeah, and, and I to be clear, with Zay Jones' injury, you now need to be in on Calvin Ridley. I'm in on Calvin Ridley now, right? It's a big difference. It's a big difference now. The, losing Zay Jones is it matters for the, the target distribution quite a bit. The only good game so far 
that Calvin Ridley has posted has been against the Colts, uh, and they give up some of the most uh, fantasy points to uh, perimeter-wide receivers. So, but this is a good spot for him. This is a good spot. This is a this, there's a this is a huge this is a game. Huge game. This is a huge week. I would argue this is the best week on the calendar. The, I mean, I challenge anyone in the chat, anyone, go find me a better week of NFL action than what we're looking at right now, and we're going to get into it. We're going to get into it. Matt, this. are you a big fan? Matt, are you a big fan of the London games and getting the early start or what? I always ask this question to people. I'm a big fan of the London games. We're going to look at all these. I want to go through the games that we have staring at us on this week four slate after this. <laughs> Oh, I see it every day online, every single day. Hey, that looks like a great fantasy team in an eight-team league. Oh, I wish I could be in a league with you, right? Well, guess what? Now you can respond with, sure, let's play on Battle. That's the beauty of this platform. This new Battle platform standardizes all position scoring. So you just load your team and you challenge your friend, your colleague, Twitter troll, and you can browse other teams and issue challenges. Battle is revolutionizing fantasy football. And with code UNDERWORLD, you get a $100 instant deposit match plus a free $10. So even if you deposit 20, you get 50. Think about that. So go to Betel.com, the code is UNDERWORLD. Betel.com, the code is UNDERWORLD. Or click a link in the description. It's fun to be right. It is. <laughs> it's been fun. Yes, last week was great. Again, I think this is the we're, we're, we're this is normal NFL action, and I think we're going to have uh, again uh, a nice, uh, consistent slate of action. When I go down the board and I see Falcons, Jaguars, and I see Lions, Packers, and I see Ravens, Browns, I see all these divisional grudge matches. I see potential shootouts. I see get right games. There's a lot of fun on this on the slate. I, I I think it's the best slate. I agree, and, I, and like we were talking about before the break, Matt, it, it gets started early, and not only this week, but for the next three weeks, we get um you know 9:30 a.m. starts, which I absolutely love. I know a lot of people don't love it, but I, who doesn't like it? Why don't you like it? I, there are a lot of people that they complain. Oh, I'm on the West Coast. I got to get up early. And even the East Coasters sometimes don't like it. But you know what? Give me football all day and night long and sign me up. I love it. Get me up early and, and let's get going at 930. And I think we got a really nice matchup here with Jacksonville and Atlanta. And a big game, like we said, for Jacksonville after coming off two stinkers and down two. You don't want to go to one and three as the favorite in that AFC South, uh, and they're already struggling offensively here. What about Travis Etienne? What do you what do you expect from Travis Etienne this week, right? Uh, Love I, him, right? I, I expect it to continue. I, I expect him to, to keep producing top eight RB1 overall season. Uh, he was an unbelievably great pick at that 3-4 turn. Sometimes he went late third. Sometimes he went in the, the early mid-fourth. And he looks like a, an absolute smash pick at the running back position, Matt, and we talk about a week in and week out, the running back position is absolute trash, especially in the middle rounds. Matt, name me a good uh, mid-round running back pick after the big bell cows of the first two rounds. Who are they? Where are they? They're nowhere to be found. Uh, dude, Travis he Etienne is. is a bell cow. And, Trav and, 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 and I said, Travis Etienne had, had seasons of 40-plus receptions in college with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. This idea that he's not going to be a pass catcher this year is foolish. It was just an outlier, random, 
random distribution of receptions last year that led to him not having any game with three or more catches. Here he has two games with more than three catches this year. He's gonna it's gonna continue. He's got the size, the athleticism, the receiving skills. He's got everything you want, and he was available two rounds later than he should have been going. Everyone's so excited about the the upside of this offense, all the touchdown equity there. Then why not Travis Etienne? And, and this is the game. It's not technically a home game because they're in Wembley Stadium, so they're not in Jacksonville. But th this is, according to the schedule, a home game for them. This is just this feels like one of those games where on the face of it it's going to you you, you, you want to stack Lawrence and and Ridley and Kirk because there's no Zay Jones but actually it's a yeah, Travis I, I hope so too and the only negative I want to say with Matt uh with um with uh Travis Etienne Matt is you know last week they get down inside to the one yard line they bring in Bigsby for the the guard you know the vulture touchdown uh, but 19 carries for ETN. Again, he catches four balls for 50 yards. Give me that every single week. And ETN was the answer. After those top six running backs came off the board in the in the top two rounds, ETN should have been locked in as that RB7 off the board. And sometimes he fell to RB10, 11, 12 in drafts. I know I got him 48th overall uh, in one draft at the end of the fourth round, and he's my RB3 on a team that started off Barkley and Pollard in the first two rounds. So, uh, you know, a strong running back build like that are, are tough to find with three bell cows. Uh, but ETN, absolute stud. I just need Lawrence to pick it up because a lot of those yards, uh, you know, his stat line last week was a little fugazi, you know, Matt, because, you know, he was trailing the whole second half. Ridley, Kirk, and Ingram all had one catch going into halftime. That's absolutely unacceptable. They need to be firing. One of these guys should be eight for 120 and a touchdown every single week in this offense. Let's see if Doug Peterson takes over the reins of play calling uh, this week in London, gets this offense back on track. I know he lit into his offensive coordinator and coaches at halftime and said, let's open things up in the second half here. Let's see if they pick up where they left off uh, late last week. You got get right games coming. And if the get right game doesn't, happen if the player doesn't deliver the get right game then you've got warning bells right so this is a potential warning bell week for a lot of players including trevor lawrence right trevor lawrence doesn't deliver calvin ridley doesn't deliver in this spot against the falcons with no zay jones it is a warning bell week for a lot of these players like think about think about i mean i, I could i can go down in every game i can see oh there's a warning bell a player in every single game. I mean, look at the Broncos Bears game. It's just all warning bells, right? Russell Wilson's career is now at a crossroads. Justin Fields' career is now in jeopardy. But Matt, Russell Wilson's been putting up numbers. I think this is a game where if you want to look at someone that you know needs to get going or it's time to hit the panic button, it's Javante Williams for the for the Broncos. If you if you, if Javante Williams one. comes out, lays another stinker, he's got to go to your bench and and maybe for a while. But uh, in terms of other Broncos here, this is Judy's third game back now, and his his snap percentage has been going up. Uh, you know, from last week, uh, the, his first start, I think he was at sixty eight percent. Now up to like seventy six percent. He needs to be on the field ninety percent of the time, Jerry Judy. So now let's start having this Jerry Judy wide receiver two overall season. 
you know, starting this week versus this Bears secondary. That's my big takeaway. But if the, that's yeah. the thing, though, that's the thing. It's everybody on this team, right? The Broncos have proven themselves to be the most burnable defense in the league. And last year, the Bears were the most burnable defense in the NFL. So we're looking for a big boom performance from DJ Moore. If he doesn't deliver, there's a warning bell. Right, Jerry Judy better deliver. Javante Williams better deliver. There's a lot of there's a lot of players that need that that must have a good game. There's no there there's by far away more players in this game that must perform. Or it's Matt DJ Moore. You know, to our original point early on, DJ Moore was another name and another player that always came off the board before Debo Samuel and Amari Cooper. No, no, he did not. What are you talking about? Debo Samuel was not going after DJ Moore. What drafts are these? Yeah, these were all the high stakes leagues. DJ Moore was going in the third. Yes, he was what? in the third round. Okay. And you saw Amari Cooper going mid fourth round, 100%. 100%. DJ Moore was that hot receiver that people wanted in the middle of the third round. And, and that's where he was going. And now it looks three weeks in like a big mistake, all because we expected Justin Fields to take another step forward, but he's taken six steps backwards. And now we got a major problem. If DJ Moore didn't get that late touchdown, he was in, in for another stinker, you know? So um, he had a decent week two, DJ Moore. He had a terrible weeks one and three. Again, another guy, like you said, Matt, that week four is a big step because if he lays an egg here, okay, now we got three games where he's underproduced and one okay game. He's not a league-winning play here. He's sinking teams through four weeks, then helping them. So we'll see. Amari Cooper was going fifth round earlier in the summer, and then he moved up into the third round. His ADP, his final ADP, his closing ADP at the FFPC was 40 exactly, and that's where I thought he was going. So that's that's what happened with Amari Cooper. But you are right. You are right. In the final week at the FFPC, DJ Moore moved up eight spots from pick 47 to pick 39 ahead of Amari Cooper. You are absolutely right. Oh, I apologize. I want to apologize to you. And I will say this, Matt. FFPC, FFPC receivers fall a little more. NFFC where, you know, I do a lot of my playing, Matt. Wide receivers are even hot and heavier and move up even more. And DJ Moore never made it out of the third round. That's right. And if he was going at pick 39 at the FFPC, that means at the NFFC, he was an early 30s pick. So I, I listen, Chris, apologies. Apologies. I was not in Vegas this year. I was not drafting in high stakes in the final week of the season. I did not know. I did not know that's how high uh, because the narrative I was hearing all year was there's not enough pass attempts in Chicago. But but it's one thing to say that and then go ahead and draft DJ Moore in the mid fourth round. Fine to move him up into the third round to move him up ahead of these uh, the the Amari Coopers and the Keenan Allens and the Debo. Same. I can't believe that. I'm in shock. I mean, I I I, I have I have I have validated everything you've said. Everything you, you've said is 100% correct. I am now looking at the ADPs to close out the year, and you are right. Debo Samuel, Amari Cooper, and DJ Moore were going at the same ADP. I can't believe it. 
But in terms of on the board, just cold names, there's always cold names and hot names. You can always get the feel when you're in drafts and you're drafting every night. You always feel what what receivers are the guys that are like, all right, let me take him. We're in the early fourth round. I'll take him here. And the guys that everybody wants mid third and they're getting steamed up. And it's just, you know, Debo and Cooper were names that were a little cold the last couple of weeks of the draft season. And DJ Moore was just as hot of, of a name in the third round as a Christian Watson. So uh, I just don't understand it. I, you know, some, sometimes I feel like I'm in a bubble. Like I'm talking to Theo, I'm talking to Billy, I'm talking to my talking to Dario, you know, uh, and, and so I, sometimes I'm in this player profiler bubble and some of these phenomena that are happening in the larger fantasy universe, they don't make it to me. So it's maybe an interesting uh, person to have on your show would be like the fact that I didn't even know this. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I don't know. I thought you could get DJ Moore at the, at the four or five turn. Uh, and then you're like, oh, no, 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 no. The last you weren't there for the last two weeks of draft season with me in the in 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 the trenches with these guys. And and again, it speaks to a lesson, which is if a guy's going to have a new quarterback. OK, and, and the and the quarterback that he has this year, this new quarterback has a, a propensity to throw the ball 25 times a game. That's a risky pick. That's a risky pick when you're it, it's one thing to take a shot on a guy in round five and six. It's a different thing when you're when the opportunity cost is Keenan Allen, Debo Samuel, Amari Cooper. The hell, man, the hell. Listen, man, it's a huge week for Justin Fields in these next one or two. Hey, listen, we saw this last year, right? Justin Fields was absolutely terrible in September. And, and just as everybody threw the towel in on him in weeks four or five, it, it was after that Thursday night game, which ironically next week uh, in week five, I believe he plays on a Thursday night. Everybody got rid of him last year. And then he turned his season around and, and made a run at his, you know, a QB one season. Uh, so do you think he's going to do you think he's going to turn it around against Denver? Listen, Matt, I didn't have that feeling last year because I was a guy that was getting rid of him and, and dropping him. You know, he was a I, I remember he was a QB two on a lot of my teams that I drafted in round 15 or 16 just for the potential upside. And I said, all right, this isn't going to work out after four or five weeks and got rid of him. And then he went on to win everybody, every all the money in the world. So this year, you know, I think we're a week or two away from. Not dropping him because you don't drop quarterbacks that you drafted in the fifth round. You bench them. But I think you're already at that oh. point now oh. where, you know, we talked about Trevor Lawrence. We talk about Joe Burrow. This is three out of the top eight quarterbacks on the draft board in every draft. The three of them are struggling big enough. I don't want to put Lawrence so much in the in the fields and Burrow category right now. But Burrow and Fields, as of this week, you got to consider benching. Yeah, and and you can't you you certainly you cannot bench Russell Wilson. He's been a top five quarterback. He's got nineteen plus fantasy points a game. Like it, it, if there's one guy that you, you know he's getting the blame, like the, the mainstream media is saying, okay, you know this is a big game for this is a, a big get right moment for Russell Wilson. And I'm looking up, going, well, technically Russell Wilson has been fine for fantasy, but when you're down seventy, he <laughs> wasn't down seventy, but when you're down fifty, <laughs> he was down fifty at the end of the game. When you're down 50, you, you need to put up 400 yards, right? So, yes, he did have 300 yards last week, but he should have had more. He should have done better. He's been behind playing in garbage time, in comeback mode, all three games. We want the bad defense, Matt. 
We want the team with the bad defense that we know we're going to be down 14-21 in the second half and throw it. I know, but what I'm saying is if you're a Broncos fan and you're evaluating Russell Wilson, he's giving you the bare minimum given the negative game script. So we are going to see what happens this week. It's just the Vegas line on this one is the most fascinating because there's a couple of these where the home dog is getting three and a half. And whenever I see the home dog getting three and a half, that is always the most. And we have two. We have the Panthers getting three and a half and we have the Bears getting three and a half. And for me, that's always the most fascinating line because that's Vegas saying, we actually want you to take the road favorite, right? Where they're trying to coax you into taking the road favorite, which is always weird with the Vikings and the Broncos, especially the, the Vikings and Broncos are both 0-3, and they are road favorites by more than a field goal. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's how crazy. Yeah. And then you wonder what the line is going to do if, um, you know, if, if Dalton doesn't start for Carolina, you know, and it's it might go up even more. OK, so it, it should be Dalton. If they're trying to win games, it'll be Dalton. If they're trying to tank to get a great draft pick next year to help build the franchise, it, it'll be Bryce Young. It's probably going to be Andy Dalton. They should let Bryce Young if they are doing what's right for the franchise and what's right for Bryce Young. They're going to give one more game to Andy Dalton. That's what should happen. In fact, this is when the equity holders of the of the team need to get involved. If if you hear, like if you are whatever the the the, the hedge fund billionaire who, who who bought this team, right? If you hear they're going to start Bryce Young this week, you need to make a phone call and be like, "No, you're not." <laughs> Same thing with Anthony Richardson and Jim Irsay in Indianapolis. Anthony Richardson, uh, as of today, is still in the concussion protocol. So if you're in the concussion protocol here Wednesday after a week and a half, you're not starting again. So, you know, be prepared for Gardner Minshew again for Indianapolis uh, this week. And there's no reason to rush these young rookie quarterbacks. You know, we already saw, uh, you know, these two guys get banged up uh cj stroud by the way while we're talking about rookie uh quarterback cj stroud is looking unbelievable looks like the real deal should have been the number one overall pick uh cj stroud is supporting an unbelievable offense here uh that a lot of people didn't see coming to fruition this early but cj stroud's gonna be you know if he's available on the wire and i see him in a lot of my leagues available still you know, people are going to be dropping a bag on him tonight in waivers to try and bring him on their roster and maybe fill in for struggling teams, such as the Joe Burrows, Justin Fields, especially. You'll see that a lot, Matt. I think that Justin Fields owner, Dak Prescott, too. A lot of these quarterbacks that were drafted, you know, QB 10 and later are getting the job done this year. And we didn't even touch on Tua, who is the absolute smash spot quarterback pick on the draft board through three weeks and looks like he could be the league winning quarterback this year in this offense. So, um, you know, CJ Stroud, you look for the Justin Fields managers to go in and, and drop a bag on uh, CJ Stroud tonight and see if they could get through these uh, early season struggles. Well, don't tell Vegas this because the Texans are three point dogs at home against the Steelers. Yeah, they're not believing yet. The Steelers are two and one. That's the fakest two and one record I've ever seen. Uh, it, they, 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 their offense is anemic. Their defense is not impressive. Everyone forgot about what happened in week one, apparently, uh, where they could not stop the, the 49ers and they could not 
matriculate the ball a, a yard down the field. It was very weird. It, what the, the one drive, the one touchdown to Friar Muth, and that was all they could manage, all they could muster the entire game. And yet the Steelers are now three point favorites on the road at Houston. What? What's? How? Can you explain that? Um, Vegas still not believing in a young Houston team to be the you know, yeah to to be the team in Pittsburgh that they travel well. I'm sure Houston Stadium is going to sound like uh, you know a, a road game to them, just like everywhere Pittsburgh goes. Uh, Pittsburgh beat Vegas last week. It wasn't that impressive. Uh, their run game is still stuck in neutral. Uh, Harris looks terrible. And uh, I'm still waiting for Jalen Warren to slowly take over this backfield for Pittsburgh. But, um, yeah, I, I, I see it the same way, Matt. But, yeah, it's a little bit of a fishy line. But I, I don't think Vegas is prepared right now to uh, make the Texans a favorite over, uh, you know, a Mike Tomlin uh, coach team. I, I I don't know what more they need to see. Yeah, listen, they just went on the road and beat up a, a playoff team. They beat up a playoff team in Jacksonville uh, on the road. So I've seen enough from the Texans. This is exciting, yeah. man. You're right. Yes. CJ Stroud is the real deal. He did it. It he did it at a higher level, more consistently. Uh, was just as prolific, even more efficient at Ohio State than Bryce Young was at Alabama, and he's got the prototypical QB size athleticism that you want it never made sense the bryce young 101 over cj stroud never made sense i, I was it was a head scratcher from the beginning i did, didn't get it but yeah we're looking at like vikings pack vikings panthers both zero and three teams so this is fascinating and this the, that's the last thing that they want to do go on the road right go on they're vikings they need to win they, they're going to go on the road face a, a, a difficult defense that's an interesting game that's a sneaky shootout game, I, I believe. If Dalton starts, okay, with the emergence of, you know, Thielen's looking good. DJ Chark is back healthy now, and I think he should be prioritized in, in Fab uh, tonight also. Thank you. That that was my number one value pick for Fab this week was DJ Chark. Because Mingo's in the concussion protocol. Chark came in, commanded a bunch of targets. He's their downfield playmaker. So you have Thielen underneath, and you have chark over the top against the vikings this is the perfect spot for chark if you're if you're ever going to start him it'd be this week and they're going to have to keep up with minnesota because you know minnesota with with uh carolina's banged up defense and their secondary is a mess right now kirk is going to put it on them okay they got no answers for justin jefferson and this offense so minnesota is going to hang a 30 on them and if dalton's behind center he's going to do what he did last week in in seattle and he's going to have to throw the ball another 55 times and with Thielen and Chark out there, if, like you said, if Mingo sits, and again, another young kid that why rush him back from a concussion? Why? So give him the week off, okay? Uh, the piece in this offense I want to see, because I, I started dropping him last week, and I, didn't, and I don't regret it after his last week game, is after the first week, Hayden Hurst, I thought, was going to be a top 15 tight end in this offense. And then he kind of disappeared the last couple weeks. I don't know if he could contribute as a third target in this offense. Uh, maybe in a game like this, he's a sneaky start at the tight end position if you're needy. And a lot of us are tight end needy already three weeks into the season. It's interesting that Jordan Love has been exactly what I thought we were going to get from Pickett. Mm -hmm. You know, he's running, he's, he's, he's reckless, right? He's, he's leading comebacks and yeah. Pickett has been pretty anemic. Uh, but look at Fryermuth. Fryermuth, 46 receiving yards through three games. 
Yeah, he's been a huge disappointment, Matt. This is another game, man. Another player. Yeah, another guy that we need to see something this week. This is like, this is a must produce. There are so many players in must produce spots. Yeah. Matt, Friday how about Muth this? Is one of them. Matt, how about this at the tight end position? While you're bringing up Fryermuth, has been a huge disappointment. How about these three names for you and how big of a disappointment they've been? David Njoku for three weeks, huge disappointment. Okay. He was a top 12 tight end. Through three weeks? What do you, I, I thought, I thought you were going to say through six years of a career. <laughs> no, Njoku had a nice season last year. So we got to give him that much. But through three weeks, he was a tight end that was, that was, you know, a top 12 tight end that we thought, okay, in this offense, he could play the role as a second target, maybe if not at least a third target. He's had three soft games this week. Dalton Schultz, a lot of people came up on. He's Dumpsville at this point. Dalton Schultz is like the unheard of man. And I'm a little, I'm starting to get a little worried. I don't know about you, Matt, about Dalton Kincaid in Buffalo. Yeah, you should be worried. You should be worried. What the the case for Dalton Kincaid in seasonal leagues was always dubious to me because like it's not like he's going to just outright, you know relegate Dawson Knox is going to be in there, especially in goal line situations. The touchdowns are going to go to Dawson Knox and you look up and touchdown red zone targets. Where are they going to? Oh, they're going to Dawson Knox, not necessarily complete, but they're going to Dawson Knox. That makes sense. That makes sense. We just look at target conservation. Who's in a position to command the most targets. It was Laporta. That was the guy that was in the best position to command targets, especially after Jamison Williams got suspended. Sure. But I looked at the offenses a little similar, and I'll tell you right off the bat, my tight end plan in all my drafts this year, I was not getting any of the elite guys early. I was waiting on tight end, and my two biggest targets that I wanted were Kincaid and Laporta. Okay, so if you went through all my fantasy teams, I have one of them as my starting tight end, if not both of them, because I would double tap Kincaid and Laporta. Okay, and admittedly, Matt, I had Kincaid ahead of Laporta, okay? This was a big, this looks like it might be a big mistake, okay? Kincaid was coming off the board a couple rounds earlier, two or three rounds before Laporta. So a lot of people saw it my way, okay? But on the teams that I have, Kincaid and Laporta, Laporta's locked in as my starter with Kincaid on the bench. Uh, That's a huge flip right there uh, with these two. But in an offense in Buffalo, Matt, with just digs, and Gabe Davis, there was no reason not to think Kincaid could step in here, play 75% of the snaps right off the bat, like a Laporta is doing as the, the second target in the offense, and play this role, okay? First week, we saw it a little bit, and now this week was a little concerning. I still have high hopes for Kincaid in this offense, just because look at this past week. Nobody saw more than four targets for the Bills. I know the game got away from, uh, you know, game got crazy out of hand. Okay, but nobody saw more than four targets in the Bills offense. It was Diggs getting 11 or 12 targets and being the complete alpha. And then everybody else just played a distant, you know, second role. But Kincaid, I still have high hopes for, but this is a big week for him, too. If he lays another stinker, we have a lot of duds at the tight end position. Yeah. Of all these games, the game that you could argue because because you have a three and O team going on the road to the Bills, two and one, that there aren't that many like you must produce this week. Right. Except there's one guy. You're absolutely right. There's one guy in this game who is a must-produce player that when you're watching the box scores on Sunday, you gotta you gotta see where Kincaid is. 
and the, and again, I get untethered from ADP sometimes. And so sometimes my, some of my positions sound like hot takes, mm-hmm. uh, but it, sometimes it just comes down to something simple. Like Laporta to me at the position, you know, in, on the, on the 10 yard line, who are they going to call a play for Laporta or Brock, Wright? The answer is Laporta. Who is the ball? Who is Buffalo going to call a play for? Well, flip a coin between Knox and, and Kincaid. So that's the problem. That's why, to me, the answer was Laporta. Now, I liked your strategy overall, though. I had a very similar strategy. My firewall, and where if you go draft by draft, I either got Fryermuth or I got Evan Ingram. They had a similar ADP. It, it was, ba- you know, they they were interchangeable ADPs. Really, whoever was there for me, you know, in the in the in the seventh and eighth round. And now you look up, and yeah, I'm loving. My teams with Evan Ingram and my teams with uh, Pat Fryermuth, it's like he better do something this week. Because Deontay Johnson is gone. It's crazy. This is what I'm saying. When Deontay Johnson went down, I said, okay, at least Fryermuth shares are going to prosper here for the next four or five weeks here without Deontay Johnson. And it hasn't happened. When a player does not capitalize on target conservation, that's when it becomes a real it's a real warning bell situation right um and then when when players do capitalize on it you 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 uh, you know it's it's exciting but, you know look think about this game bengal's at the titans this is an inc- this is a, a must get right game for joe burrow for t higgins i mean is t higgins going to play in this game <laughs> well, he better show up this week because he's dropped two duds in the first three weeks. You know, luckily, uh, week two, he, he salvaged himself late in the game with the touch, the couple touchdowns. Uh, so he had a good week, too. But he had a good fourth quarter. He's had one good quarter, one good quarter. Yeah, 100 percent. And when you think about it, he was a late second round pick and he went before Keenan Allen and DK Metcalf on every draft board. And that's looking like a major mistake because when you look back at it to our original part in the, in the opening uh, of our show here, Matt is, you know, you're looking at guys that are alpha wide receiver ones in Keenan Allen and DK Metcalf and a guy on a team that we bought into just because of Joe Burrow and the big time offense to buy into T Higgins, but he's a distant wide receiver too on that team. And we were taking him before these two alphas in Keenan Allen and DK Metcalf. Uh, you know, that's looking like a major mistake. But T. Higgins has been a well-known, well-documented fake alpha. Yeah, but Joe Burrow, I don't know if he's capable right now, Matt, of having that 350 and three-touchdown type Joe Burrow game with his Bengal offense. They're just trying to get through each game, win it 24-20, 24-17. The defense has stepped up. Lou Amaruno is an unbelievable defensive coordinator. Until Joe Burrow starts feeling better, the days of Joe Burrow, 350 and four, 350 and three, aren't there. And I don't know if this offense can support two big wide receivers on a weekly basis. So it was great to see Jamar Chase, you know, have the, the game that we expected from him as our number two overall pick on draft boards. That's what you should do. You know, that's he should see those games every week. Put him in the slot. There was no answer for him in the slot on Monday night. Get him his his touches, you know, his design touches where at minimum, you know, he's catching seven, eight balls every week and, you know, one or two big plays each week. But at minimum, he should be catching those, you know, quick seven yarders, nine yarders here and there and let the numbers rack up. 
And if that's the case and that's the offense the Bengals are going to run here, okay, T. Higgins is going to have a lot of these weeks where he's four for 40 and taking a back seat because Chase is the alpha, okay? And, and that's that. And, and this is the week, though. The, the Tennessee secondary, the way you attack Tennessee, obviously, is you can't run on them. They're they're a great defensive, uh, you know, they're great defensively against the run. The secondary is a mess. They have no answers for Chase or Higgins. So one of these guys is going over 100 and having a big blow-up game, and we'll see from there. And it could be Tyler Boyd. We're on practice alert for Saquon Barkley, though, here, Matt. He's not playing. You think he's playing? If I had to put my money down, I say no. Okay. I think they give him another week. But, man, Dayball's talking really positively about him. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. He better not play. Give him one more week off. He's not going to be right for a few more weeks anyway. Here's, Here's a debate that we're having at Player Profile, especially for Dynasty. Zay Flowers. Some people think that he should be vaulted into the top 15, top 12 dynasty receivers, you know, but we have conservative elements of our organization that are like, Hey man, easy on the, easy on the three-year projections, uh, uh, extrapolation. How do you feel about Zay flowers? Oh my God. What a, what a great pick this year in drafts. And to think that, you know, like Jackson Smith and Jigba was coming off the board and, and mostly every draft before him, that's looking like a real, real bad decision for people that took him over Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers stepped right into this offense, and he's going to be the alpha wide receiver one going forward. Bateman's gone with this hamstring injury. He was a dud anyway. He's uh, Beckham's banged up. This, this offense, all of a sudden, we came into this season looking at this Ravens offense with huge high hopes, having Bateman, Beckham, Flowers, Andrews, just weapons everywhere in a Tom Munkin offense that we thought would be, you know, like a run and shoot, pitch wide open offense. And three weeks into the season, this offense has been condensed now to Zay Flowers getting 10 targets, eight to 10 targets every week as the alpha one. And Mark Andrews, who needs to step his game up, uh, you know, after missing week one, he hasn't done much. There's another, it's another guy, man. It's another guy where it's like, it, it's a must perform. It's a must perform week for Mark Andrews as well. There's so many of these guys. It's incredible. It's incredible. But yes, Zay Flowers was always a great pick. I loved. I loved the the, the Zay. My my favorite stack was Lamar Jackson Zay Flowers because you could get that. What the beauty was, especially for best ball, that was the only wide receiver who was the wide receiver one for that team who was getting drafted after a stud quarterback. When you go team by team and you look, you know, from the chargers to the Bengals, you go down the board, all these great teams, all these great uh, receivers that are tethered to great quarterbacks. Think about Diggs, right? Diggs goes before Allen, right? You go all the way down the board. You're always going to see, you know, Tyreek Hill going before uh, you know, Tua, right? But there was this one, this one quarterback, Lamar Jackson, who's, Number one wide receiver, whoever whoever it was going to be, Bateman, uh, Flowers, even if they were even if you were debating it, he was going rounds later than the quarterbacks. You could always guarantee a stack. And when you draft Lamar Jackson, then you're more likely to get Zay Flowers because all the other teams are more incentivized to draft receivers that pair with their quarterbacks. And then so you could always get him 
at a discount later. Zay Flowers always available at a discount later because you were the only one truly incentivized to draft him to stack him. So that was the that was the only that if you look across the league, that was actually the only scenario with an elite quarterback where the receiver was going well after the 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 the, the stud quarterback. So that was the thesis for that. You know, and that's only because Andrews was a third rounder. He took the place as the wide receiver one. And it was a lower volume offense, but that yeah. was the thesis. Yep. And that the bottom line is Zay Flowers is just a much more dominant receiver than a Quinton Johnston. Quinton Johnston, another receiver who's in a must-produce situation, right? We talked about this with, with Calvin Ridley. So many of these players, it's like, there's less target competition now for Mark Andrews. There's less target competition now for Pat Fryermuth. So many of these, these players have less target competition. They've underwhelmed and they have great matchups. You, if you're Quinton Johnston, now is the week. You better show yourself. What if Quinton Johnston does this week? Uh, Matt, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't expect to see it this week. I don't expect to break out the Quinton Johnson. There's a reason why they brought him along slowly here. I don't know if he's ready to take on a full workload. And I still expect him to be uh, the fourth target in this offense. You know, obviously after Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer still locked in as the is going to be locked in as the two. And I think the biggest benef benefactor of the injury to Mike Williams is Gerald Everett. Yes, say yes, yes, that's right. That's right. That's it. That's it. You want help at tight end? There you go. This could be a big week for tight ends. Yeah, no, Gerald Everett might be on his way to a top eight tight end season. I think that, you know, listen, we, we've got the quarterback. We got the offense. It all sets up perfectly. The first couple of weeks, people were dropping Gerald Everett. If they took him late in the drafts, they were getting rid of him. I scooped him up in a handful of leagues here before the Mike Williams injury. The, the teams where you have Kincaid, right? Uh, yes, as a matter of fact. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, that is where I, I picked him up on is some King K team. That's right. You That's a smart move, dude. That's a smart move because he, he has a lot of similarities to Kincaid. Yeah. Now, listen, Gerald Everett, when he's out there, he looks like Mike Williams. You know, he's he's got yeah. the speed. He's he's going to step in and have a lot of these six for 60 and a touchdown type weeks in this Chargers offense and hit the board as a top end, uh, top six tight end. So, Gerald Everett goes right into your, um, you know, right into your lineups, in my opinion. You heard it here. Chris Vaccaro is not expecting a goddamn thing from Quinton Johnston. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy D up in the lumber scene. And the pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly.